Hello, Nate. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ben. No problem at really all. Really nice to be here. Yeah, um, f- thank you for asking to join. Actually, it's um, I do get a couple of people that sometimes pop up and say, "Hey, man, I'd, I'd love to talk to you." Um, so it's lovely when that happens. Really, it's nice to know that people actually want to be a part of this. I think um, just touching on that very quickly and things like that. I think we're in a space now where people are at the at the pivot point of we're kind of tired of hearing the same narrative around neurodiversity or, or the way that our brains work in it, and we're wanting to see some change. You know, and and I think there's a real drive now with platforms like TikTok and things like that, where I think the ADHD tag at the moment is sitting at something like two billion or something, and that. So there's people out there that want to know about us, and that we just got to do a little bit of disruption now and have to get it out there and heard. Yeah, completely agree with you. I had this. So just for your knowledge, so I had a person that I interviewed only two days ago who's based in Canada, and we were having okay. a little bit of a discussion around sort of Me Too content. So kind of as you've described, being. A lot of the stuff that I guess we've already heard before. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and I think anyone that's diagnosed and done some semblance of research probably already knows a lot of the basics. So symptomatically, what is ADHD? Um, some best ways, best hacks, that kind of stuff. But really what I'm trying to achieve here is to have an honest conversation, an open dialogue, because statistics and evidence-based findings are great. But I think to have someone talk with you about their experiences and how they've lived it, sometimes I think speaks a lot more. I think that's something that really drove me towards reaching out to you because, as you know, we're not the best people at usually reaching out for these type of things. And that. Um, I think there's still a really big drive and emphasis on us being having to get to a point where we can be more open and, and talk more about um, our our complexities and our ways of working and as, as such and things like that. and we're still learning the right lingo around how to describe it and things and like that so it's quite a a nerve nerve wrecking nerve breaking kind of situation at the moment and things like that. but i think now's the right time and I, and I think everyone has a real want for realness so watching one of your previous videos and things and also speaking to someone that's had this opportunity with you before i believe greg just a couple of days ago was yeah. popped up on your thing and that um you know it, it's something that kind of echoed with me that realness and not wanting to kind of sugarcoat or make it fluffy and, and that kind of thing and that so um i think you're doing great work and i'm really Thank glad you. that you gave me this opportunity to have a chat with you no no problem at all and i think there's i mean don't get me wrong there's lots of adhd podcasts that exist i'm not the first guy to do it but i think uh funnily enough i didn't set out with any kind of vision or goal for this it kind of happened organically on its own and I had opportunities to interview people and I wasn't too fussed on kind of where they came from, who they are. I think there's a lot of ADHD podcasts that kind of talk with big influencers, right? Like the people that have massive followings. But I quite like having a conversation with people that, for lack of a better way of putting it really, without sounding offensive, not heard of as greatly. But then sometimes there's value in that too, because not only are you able to kind of get to, again, like you said, the realness of things, mm-hmm. But then to also just have, again, this real conversation that's not promo based. It's not about them as influencers, but really more about just them as human beings, really. I totally agree with you. And that's something that drove one of my missions you know, within the corporate world to kind of drive this conversation and disrupt what the the as is uh, narrative around neurodiversity. And that was, yes, there's these people out there that have massive followings and, and they're really, you know, on a big stage and platform and things and that. But I don't think that echoes to the everyday person. 
No. Because it makes it feel like it's even more untouchable because that person is so successful or so great and things like that. Whereas Bob and Jill, who are sitting behind a computer busy doing a really mundane job because they have imposter syndrome going at a thousand miles an hour, or they have that narrative that, hey, your head's broken or you don't fit in and things and that, that doesn't echo with them, you know? And that's why I reached out yet again and things that I was, and not to be rude or anything, and I, but I like the fact that you're focusing at sort of ground level with people and things and that, because potentially we might reach that one person and that that's sitting behind a computer somewhere or doing something really mundane, but they have this head full of ideas, but they're just too scared to bring it out because they don't have a place in the world, they believe. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I think sometimes that rhetoric of like, we're broken or we're, we're damaged goods as well, I don't think it's a very positive message to put out there. Oh, so. No, 100%. And this is why I was quite interested in talking to yourself, obviously, as a business coach, because, again, I think if ever had a goal behind this, <laughs> because, again, this is very organic. This kind of happened naturally on its own. I didn't spend months planning this in advance. This was kind of, oh, look, I'm doing a podcast now. Great. But I think for one thing, it's good to display with people that, like you say, have imposter syndrome, you know, struggling to find their place in the world to see that people can make a success of themselves, even in that I guess even in the everyday stuff, you know, just because you're not at influencer, hundred million follower level, doesn't mean you're not a success. And I think we need to sort of ground ourselves a little bit too, because again, oh, TikTok and sort of platforms like that can sometimes cloud our judgment with things like that. I actually just posted a TikTok sort of discussing the whole kind of us versus them mentality um, okay. and this kind of negative mindset of like, you know, we're damaged, we're broken, people need to adjust to us. Whereas again, I think as we've kind of discussed, this is more about just realness and not bullshitting anyone because, you know, there is struggles with ADHD, but again, oh, yeah, we can still live a fulfilling life. Um, I 100% agree with you there and things. Um, and, and I think that's something that's really important is we might look like we have it together on any given day. It doesn't mean the storm isn't still there yes it doesn't mean the struggle isn't still there and things like that we're having to balance a thousand and one plates versus 500 plates with a neurotypical person and I, although i'm a little bit controversial in my belief about the spectrum and neurotypical and neurodiverse and that, mm -hmm. but that's a whole nother chat and things like that um i i personally the way i go about what i do is or the way that i used to do it in the corporate world I don't talk about other people's journeys. I don't talk about other people's struggles and things and that. Mm -hmm. I didn't believe that was my right to take that yeah. on, to drive change. So I put myself out there and I spoke about my my situation and, and my understanding of my ADHD and my neurodiversity. And then what I believe are the side effects, the mental health and things, the depression, the anxiety, the imposter syndrome and all this type of stuff to try to build awareness so that other people could feel safe and that to be able to come out and talk you know, within a corporate space. Obviously, corporate being quite a... A stigmatized area still unfortunately for people with different differences and that yeah. you know you, you never want to think that your boss is going to look at you differently and that or, or it's going to hold back a promotion or anything and such unfortunately we still live in a world where these things do happen mm -hmm. but hopefully by driving the conversation hopefully by driving the change and things and that that can maybe change at some point and things or our voice gets too loud and things like others uh protected characteristics where they can't really silence us and that and they have to look at us in a in a bit of light and drive some change with yeah this. i so, think yeah. i agree with you with the court world i think there's still a lot of change to be had um oh. with regards to kind of well fostering neurodiversity for one um 
and being able to kind of capitalize on that as an advantage rather than a disadvantage because i think in the corporate world at the moment i think neurodiverse is still seen very much as a negative rather than a positive in most corporations um you know unfortunately i have seen that firsthand i've experienced that i think a lot of people with adhd could probably have some recollection of how they've been treated because of adhd as well in the workplace it's actually quite interesting uh, your background with this actually because i think when i started adhd adapted i think my kind of first mindset was kind of coaching as well so again not speaking on the behalf of others but coming at it from more of an angle of my own personal experiences and kind of using that to drive change and to drive kind of awareness i suppose more than anything else because i think if i tried to do stuff that was more evidence-based and start talking into the science of adhd i, I wouldn't be so good at that but I'm great about talking about myself. Well, it's a lived experience, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that is the, the change here is we have, what's that gentleman on um, TikTok, Dr. Berkeley or whatever, we have people throwing science at it from, from an angle and that where you can barely understand some of the words that are getting utilized and things and that. Yeah. We have big name people in the industries and things and that that are talking about it. It's great. It, it really is and that. But we need someone for the people to be talking like the people to be able to be able to help drive change for the people. What's so like talking in a vocabulary that people understand every day? Yes, you know. I mean, I I think your main focus is on diagnosis at the moment and things like that. You know, diagnosis is one of probably the hottest topics at the moment, especially because of the panorama expose thing that they yeah. dropped on BBC, yeah. which was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, that was very lucky. time. Yeah, but, um, you know the the real person in the street can't afford to pay thousands to go out and get a private diagnosis. You know, no. and then if you go NHS, it's kind of pot luck. Um, so I think I mentioned to you, I was diagnosed as a child. I was then re-diagnosed later on in my life, and that. But it took two, three and a half years through the NHS to get diagnosed. Again. So, were you first diagnosed back in South Africa, or were you first like, see, okay, so then you then sought diagnosis when she came into the UK? Yeah. So, funny enough, um, it's a bit of an odd story and things like that. Um, think back to the late eighties, nineties. I was in my second year of school, so I was about a tiny little tot. Mm -hmm. um, my my teachers were the typical teachers and that you know i was a troublesome talkative clown da, 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 couldn't focus and things and that um and they wanted to hold me back and they ended up holding me back in 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 my year and uh, my parents started exploring and they actually asked some people about getting diagnosed and, and looking at what was wrong with me okay which i still think is very open-minded for the time yeah, and that. yeah especially being in a third world country and things and that right okay. um so the only way this was able to be done was actually through the military that's in so just so much for my awareness of whereabouts were you based in south africa at the time so uh, i think uh, greg had a similar experience to yourself yeah see joe uh, sorry greg is from johannesburg so we've got that rivalry going but we're friendly about it it's all good <laughs> <laughs> so i'm from cape town or the western cape originally of south right africa. okay um my father was a military man uh, so obviously we had that kind of upbringing in that that regimented structure as well as moving around a lot and stuff and things like that but Me um, too. okay yeah there we go. <laughs> but um yeah the only way to go about getting a diagnosis at the time was through the military at the time uh, okay. which meant some really interesting after school curricular activities with the military a couple of hours in a white room looking at different things doing different things um pattern recognition, you know, spotting certain things, being able to do equations and yeah, 
Um, and this went on for a good kind of year, two years of my small childhood life, and you know, while I was going to a school. Um, but once I got my diagnosis, it then meant that I wasn't able to go to main, mainstream schooling for a time. I had to go into a special school. Right, okay. So was it specifically dealing with people with ADHD, ASD, that type of thing? Is that what you're referring as to? As well as Down syndrome, as well as um, quadriplegic, as well as... Right, okay. So all the broken people were thrown together into a school. <laughs> So I want to go back to this topic just for a moment, because you mentioned how teachers were sort of, it sounds like you, the way you were referring to them is like setting to hold you back. So in, in what way exactly? Um, they, they actually wanted to hold me back a grade because they believed oh, quite that literally my, then. Okay. Yeah, yeah, my behavioral <laughs> side and things and it wasn't that befitting of a person that could move on and things like that. But they actually held okay. back about four of us in, in my class that time. Um, right. But I was the only one whose parents were, went out to look for a diagnosis and things like that. And then obviously back then it was ADD, it was an ADHD. Yeah, I was about to say that, that has, I can't get my words out. It's changed now, hasn't it? So you've got ADHD combined, hyperactive, um, Which is inattentive. Which combined ADHD. You're combined, yeah, so, me too. Yeah. Okay, so you've had the threat of kind of being held back a year at school and this is kind of around the time when your parents kind of then signalled, okay, well, we need to actually get this kid diagnosed, right? So. Yeah. Was that the actual prompt then? So was there a conversation between teachers and your parents at the time discussing that you're having difficulty? Um, from what I remember, Nad, yes, it wasn't a threat. They actually held me back. It so was Oh, sorry, year, it wasn't a threat. Yeah, okay. so the next year it meant all my friends moved on and I wasn't allowed to. And how did you feel this time? So if I can go back to oh, well, little... I think that's probably my earliest recognition or recollection of kind of imposter syndrome, to be honest with you. Right, I mean, how okay. embarrassing, right? A kid doesn't get to move on with his friends and everybody and things and that. And then the ridicule of children, because you know, yeah, it's yeah. kind of how it went. Do and you then, have uh, Do you have much memory of? So your friends have now moved on into the year above, and you're stuck in the same year with these new kids that are a year younger than you. Obviously, a year younger as adults isn't nothing. It's nothing, right? But as a yeah. kid, there's it's a massive. There's a, how How did you go about befriending kids that were young? I mean, how did you get on with that? How did you? Um, I very quickly became a protector type. Oh, like uh, a big brother? Uh, yeah, kind of, yeah. Um, I grew up in a house with a mother who's bipolar. Okay. So I've always had to kind of step up and, and, and kind of try to look after and, and things and that, you know. Um, don't get me wrong, I think today is uh, World Suicide Recognition Day and things and that, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm not sure, but, actually. I yeah, should know that, that really, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know. That's something I've got a lot of personal experience with, both from my mother and then my my own experience within the last two years and things unfortunately yeah. um so yeah so that kind of protector type came on really quickly as well as that imposter syndrome of obviously not being not as good as everybody else but obviously back then we didn't have what was it one-to-one -one kind of education or um what is it sort of oh let's play towards your strengths and that you know it was very much kind of curriculum based kind of as it is today still like yeah. in a lot of ways so yeah, so it didn't feel great, no. And that, no. But I was only in that school for a short while before the diagnosis came through, and then I got moved over to a special that special okay. school. Okay. So then, sorry, carry on. No, I, I was just gonna say. Then came the one pill fits all, and I was given Ritalin for the first time. Okay. And we all got Ritalin. There was no you know dosage control in that. We all light so up it, in the morning, oh, okay. pop the pill, and. Yeah, I remember Greg saying something like that as well. Actually, yeah. that that sounds familiar. So there was no different dosage. There was no different brands of drugs. It was just Ritalin. 
and then came the migraines and the droning and the you know all the yeah so the negative side things. effects then so you, i'm yeah. presuming you didn't have a great time on it uh no not, not particularly um the migraines became systemic as well as kind of continued for many years after the the ritalin and things and unfortunately mm -hmm. and then once you were given ritalin as a child you were kind of labeled as a depressed child really okay yeah so yeah you know anytime you had an outburst or there was something wrong or something as such and that your file had that you had written and things and that so you know it must have been a mental issue okay so side effects aside for a moment behavior wise could you think back to any changes at that point did you recognize that there was a change once you were on ritalin definitely in the in the sense that obviously there was that forced hyper focus kind of or, or kind of drone mode more drone mode than hyper focus in a way you'd be still but you'd kind of be stuck in your head kind of still if you know what i mean and things. yeah I, I don't know if you're a medicated adhd or not i am I now okay. i'm on so i'm on well it's called vivans in the united states and yes. alvans over here yeah uh 50 milligram so yeah. i my titration was over pretty quickly, thankfully. I, I, I was okay. one of the fortunate few that just got on with it pretty well. Liz Dexmetrophine, right? I think so. To be yeah. honest with you, I, I think I read the, the back of the bottle once. And then <laughs> since I've just, you know, I've. it sounds funny, right? I, I don't know if I want to chalk it up to placebo effects, but yeah. I, I think I purposefully didn't, I didn't try to read too much into it really. Cause like, if it worked, it worked. I wasn't willing to question anything else. Okay. a little bit of desperation because i just i needed something to work so there's a little bit of like i don't care like if it gives me a heart attack in 10 years whatever it's working now awesome let's go funny enough it's the one tablet that i actually enjoyed is the wrong word but that i i melded with the best i, I did the concertas i did all the others um i did i've tried just recently the non-stimulants which haven't done anything to help in that but uh alvance as long as you regulate your 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 hydration and your food and and that kind of thing and that with it and that, yeah it's okay. yeah i've i've definitely noticed that i mean because again i've i've definitely had slip-ups where i've not ate because i think my relationship with food on alvance changed drastically and i had to like discipline myself to actually eat whereas before i would eat non-stop like almost right. like comfort eating you're um, talking to the wrong guy about that <laughs> <laughs> oh i mean like i I may look small, but I'm a lot heavier than I look. I think at my for for me, a little guy, the heaviest I hit pre meds was I think 14 stone or I think okay. it was what's that 82 kilograms, um, okay. and then on medication when I was effectively dieting because like I by choice I was eating better because like my relationship with food was like completely different in the sense of like I didn't have enjoyment or like the dopamine hits from food yeah. just wasn't there like it used to be because the medication was doing that for me right. So my relationship with food changed and I was making healthier choices, eating better, that kind of thing. Sometimes, but without thinking, missing it, the odd meal or two, because like I wasn't disciplining myself to actually eat when I was supposed to. And I think I dropped about a stone and a half. So down to 12 and a half, 75 okay. kilo. Yeah, on Alvance, I was able to drop seven stone. Wow. Seven stone. Yeah. And how quickly did you lose that weight? Um, I did it. I did it methodically over a year. Over a year, okay. I took my time and things and that with it and that. Um, that's still pretty quick, space. though, right? So, I mean, seven yeah. stone—that's massive. Tell my body, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, always been a big guy. Always been the comfort eater. You know, eat your feelings and all that kind of stuff. And you know, every every version of that. So, mm. you know, I, I think a lot of the narrative played into that, um, which is actually 
that narrative is the thing that got changed a good couple of years ago. I'd say probably about four or five years, and that's what helped me drive some of the change that I did. But um, I don't know if you want to get into that. No, we we can get into anything you want. Go ahead. (laughs) Um, Well, yeah. So, um, like I said, I I got re-diagnosed by the NHS. Um, What I wasn't prepared for was the the lack of after the diagnosis. There was only space to medicate, no talking therapies, no kind of functional talking, no nothing. Um, The clinic I'm part of is... uh, the, the people are great and things and they really go beyond what they can, but they're only allowed to bring in like a hundred people a year. Okay. Right. Yeah. And that's uh, at a clinic within Bradford and things and that, um, and their funding keeps getting chopped and changed and things and that. So it, it's, I really feel for them as well. Um, unfortunately, I think most ADHD is or people that are looking for diagnosis or people that are looking for clarity, I think that kind of fundamental place or safe space to be able to talk and have someone that can help build coping strategies and tool sets and things, which is really weird me saying that because I was probably the most non-understanding of what this tool set thing it's means. It's not that weird. Talk if, about. if anything, I would say that most, if not 99% of people after diagnosis are probably in the same position, right? Because you are... I mean, A, it's a new chapter of your life. You've now learned this new thing about yourself and you're actually one step closer to yeah. understanding your true self, whatever that means, right? But what do you do with it, right? But what do you do with that? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm really glad you brought this up, actually, because this is something that I was a big problem for me and it was what kind of spurred me on to do what I do now. Because okay. I, I think I, I, I talk to a lot of people that are either diagnosed or considering, oh, I might go talk to a doctor, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people, I, I mean, I, I didn't, are very naive to the fact of like, okay, so you get diagnosed, but then, then, then what? Okay, so you yeah. get medicated, but then what? Do you just carry on as not? I mean, you shouldn't really, should you, right? There should be a little bit of education involved. Yeah. There should be a little bit of self-discovery there. There should be... <coughs> I, I, don't, I don't know how to put it, really, but it was very overwhelming. I mean, for me, I for me personally, so I wasn't diagnosed as a kid. I think that when I was a kid, there was conversations about autism and all that kind of stuff. I've had chats about that before. There was that, but I was never uh, formally diagnosed until I hit the age 27. Okay. Um, and then immediately what followed was this kind of feeling of bitterness, self-loathing, this kind of like, gosh, why didn't someone pick up on that sooner? It was so clearly ADHD. Why did my teacher or why did my parents say something or do something? And there was that, and that effectively turned into a very deep depression very quickly. And I had to go through a lot of therapy to kind of get over that hurdle and still getting over it really, you know, still really trying to work through that. Um, And I think that's always been my piece of advice to people is that not to say that everyone gets depressed post uh, diagnosis, obviously, but I think when you're diagnosed as an adult, you are, I think, naturally going to look a bit inwards and start looking at yourself in the mirror and thinking about the what ifs. So mourning for that person you could have been, should you have got the support sooner? There's a lot of that too. And, and I think it yeah. feeds very much into the imposter syndrome, unfortunately, because yeah. you're right. There's all that time that's been wasted, right? And that's one of the hardest things for us is time. And when there's that realization of how much time there has been or gone past now, where maybe we could have all had that limitless pull and we could have been maybe. geniuses or something. But that's, that, um, you know? but that's, that's the what ifs, isn't it? And that's the, it, the, 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 the what have couldas that we could never truly know. 
you know, but they're the ones that stick in our head and they, they keep are, going. but it's not the healthy way to go about life, is it? Because that way you, oh, you're always looking in the rear view mirror and you're never really moving forward. Right. So there's got to be a level of like, yeah, well, this or this could have happened, but I've got to deal with the now, the me now. And any positive you can take away from that is like, okay, I got diagnosed. That's a massive step. Cause you know, a lot of people don't even make it to diagnosis, unfortunately. Oh, no. And that's a massive have, step, isn't it? Some of those journeys I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, and you know, to be honest, and things and that, you know, um, any sort of, I mean, I don't know how you deal with your mental health and stuff and that, but <laughs> poorly. I, <laughs> I, I don't know when last you've, you've, you've tried to go to the NHS for mental health assistance and stuff and that. But I have done in the past, but that was unrelated to ADHD. <laughs> I, I went through, I think it was IACT years ago. Yeah, I went, went through that, didn't get on with it very well. And then after Did you like their assessment of, of like wasn't a fan of it assessment, I, mean, I didn't I, stick at it i mean to be honest with you i, I probably i probably should have stuck it stuck it out and actually give it a fair assessment because i didn't give it a chance yeah but i feel that's why it's there yeah is the, so that people don't stick to it and that unless you know but mate well I feel, yeah good point <coughs> sorry this uh, drink's trying to kill me um so we touched on a topic there and that around the what ifs and the narratives and, and things like that. And, you know, when I, I looked at 25, when I was 25 years old in the UK, that's when I kind of landed. I didn't know what I was going to, I was a chef by trade originally. Um, okay. Yeah. The reason I was a chef by trade was because I didn't think I could do anything else. I didn't think there was a place. So you can hide in the kitchen very well. You know, when chaos okay. hits and everyone starts running around like chickens with their heads cut off and things and that, it just, like a symphony was that your perfect was that your thought process at the time so when you chose to yeah. be a chef did you act did you consciously think i can hide away and not be seen basically okay you know there, there was an element of safety to it my 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 grandfather you know rest in peace and I, um he he was a chef he was a really famous chef and from the royal navy and that who opened was he? kitchens in south africa yeah he, he was like the personal chef to the king of bermuda for a time being and wow. he, he catered for our president in south africa he was very well respected and things like you know and oh, so like so was there like a oh following the family footsteps type mindset yeah it was that or my mom said become a hairstylist <laughs> <laughs> which is fine if you wanted to do yeah, that exactly you know but at the time you know i couldn't picture myself you know Oh, well, darling, how's your hair going today? Type of thing, and you know, and it's something I took a role in the family and that of doing, and like you know, when family things arose, or or you know, my mom wasn't well or something as such, you know, that kind of fell to me to kind of help out and things like that. Okay. Not always the best at it. I burnt the kitchen down three times, but you know, you have to practice. <laughs> One way to learn. <laughs> um. So yeah, so I went into catering and hospitality, and I found my niche and things and that, and I was really good at it. Um. Unfortunately, at 25, some past injuries from rugby and car accidents and things kind of caught up with me. And I started losing a bit of dexterity in my hands and, um, you know, the way that I control things. Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of look at this whole retraining type thing and everything. And I landed in retail, worked at Ikea, couldn't believe it. Never seen one before in my life <laughs> at that stage. And I uh, worked <laughs> for them for a year and then thought, oh, no ways, you know, and um, mm. ended up in corporate. And then spent 10 years in corporate, you know, kind of floating from one position to another, believing every day that someone was going to knock on my desk and say, sorry, we made a mistake of letting you in this door, you know, wow, so, yeah, okay. and that was my imposter syndrome, you know, 100% tonight, you know, the day I first walked into the, the company and that, I thought I was going to have a heart attack because I was like, what am I doing in a suit in a building like this? These people aren't going to, 
yeah, it, it was crazy. And it, it sounds was... like imposter syndrome's played quite a big role um, oh, in your journey here. And I want to touch this a bit more. So around this time that you were kind of uh, flip-flopping from job to job here, so 10 years, one after the other, were these all quite short stints? Um, so I was lucky. They were all under the same umbrella of the, the same company and okay. things that... Um, I'm not sure if I can mention who or not and things. That Probably that's not too effective. No, that's yeah, absolutely fine. Cool. That's great. Um, the one thing I've always been able to rely on is I have a bit of a chameleon. <laughs> it's how I how I explain my head in that once I'm in somewhere, I don't necessarily need to know the topic to be good at it. Okay. I can kind of map a route and things and I visualize it and see it and do it. And how so do you achieve that? Do you emulate? what someone else is doing or do you just do a bit of self-talk? I, I think there's a little bit of mimicry to it. Right? Yeah. Okay. That. But as well as the, the, the first couple of positions I did were all customer centric. Yeah. And once you come from hospitality, I believe you can sell ice to Eskimos on a good day and things like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like that saying. Yeah. yeah so, um, yeah. So that's what I kind of relied on was, you know, that kind of character or that mask of being able to be a good customer service, whatever. So I got into sale, uh, uh, savings and investments first and foremost. And that. I actually went for a job. I'm not going to lie. I think it was in maintenance. And we got lumped together into this group interview process. And I was standing there with all these people in these suits and ties, and they're all looking really professional and things and that. And I just felt so out of place. And then they put up on the board a, a, a kind of problem around a customer service issue. Okay. You had to kind of move the blocks into place and you had to, but they didn't say it, but, you know, I'm a very team-based person and things. And, you know, I, I really believe in kind of bringing everyone with you and things and that and, you know, putting people in a place of strength and that. That's the way I've always looked at kitchens. That's the way I look at it in my life. And I No, that makes sense, actually. Yeah, um, I can see that. So I could see this problem and I could see the answer. Um, it's one of my things. I can see backwards and that with a problem and risk mitigate and stuff naturally and that. So... I didn't know all these words at the time though and things are just like oh that looks easy um but what i did is i said okay cool the four or five people in that in my little section of this group i'm like okay cool bob susie what do you guys think about tackling this section you know how do you guys feel about driving this da, 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 da. and they moved on to like the others and, I, and then i was like okay cool so why don't we take this move it da, 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 da. and next thing this little ginger haired lady tapped me on, her sh on my shoulder and she's like, I think you're in the wrong place. And I thought, oh, that's it. I'm going to, you know, fired before I started and things like that. Wrong place in the sense of you, you, you've yeah, got more skills? Yeah, she pulled me out of the room or... and she's like, well, I didn't know at the time. And she pulled me out of the room and I took me down the hall and she's like, I love your accent. I love the way you work. I love the way you see things and that. I want you to come work for me. It's X amount more than what they would, would be making and I in the room and that. How do you feel about talking on the phone to people? I okay. was like, yeah, sure, I can do that. I mean, what, you know? Mm -hmm. So started in savings and investments and kind of like I was the guy who phoned at seven o'clock. Have you considered a funeral plan for your family? You know, da, 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 da. it was hard. Wow. <laughs> was okay. hard. Um, so, yes, I did that for a year um, and I kind of moved every year then. So from savings investments to insurance to mortgage um, and then down um, probably my last kind of customer centric and in the traditional form was uh, credit management. So I really believed there was an area to be able to help people um, and help them in a time of need and that because the protector type, right? I, I like mm -hmm. helping people. I like protecting people. It's probably the most jarring job I've ever done in my life. 
Yeah, I can see that for sure. And I'm trying to bridge that gap from how you've kind of gone from there into kind of the coaching space that you're in now. So tell oh, me, how did you, <laughs> how, how, how did that sort of come about? Was there like a... Um, so my last position within the company, I was actually in tech. Um, so I was what you'd call a UAT as well as a end user tester. Yeah. So I'd make sure that things are running correctly and that for our customers, for our members and stuff like that, um, as well as getting to break things and rebuild and stuff like that, you know, which is always something we kind of find fondly. We just got to find that space. Yeah. Um, the only thing was I was in a room with people that had masters in computer science and mathematics and all kinds of stuff. So um, naturally, my kind of imposter syndrome took over for a little while and i started to lose my space my own space of what i was good at and i didn't know how to go about kind of refining that space so i started what do you mean by that so do you mean you were struggling to find i just started disbelieving in myself and things and that so so self-confidence then yeah basically and like yeah yeah so the things I'm really good at in a, in a certain space are, like I say, and I, for some reason I've been gifted with like 3D visualization. So every I can see things in my head, and I can map it, and I can play with it and things and that. And then I can so you're very visual. Action. So yeah, exactly. how, how do you, and I play with my hands theory? a lot. So I'm sorry. No, no, <laughs> I, I, I can understand that mindset too. How do yeah, you find, I, how do you find theory? So like words on paper and writing on paper. How do you find that? Um, at the moment, with my hands, I don't do a lot of writing because otherwise, just look. But like I guess instru- instructional-wise, though. So if you had to sort of do um, like a course and you had to sort of labour through a theory test or like a that kind of thing, how, always, how do you manage that? I have avoided every sort of academic function <laughs> since leaving school and things, and because I never believed I was good at it because of exams. I can know the thing going to the exam, and I lose it all. But at a point I, in time when you had to do exams, how did you fare then? Did you do good in I exams? Failed. You failed? No. Okay. Yeah. It, it, unless if I could write out like a thousand words when you needed 50 and then I can bullshit or something like that, you know what I mean? Uh, okay. Yeah, no, <laughs> except, no. That makes, that, except for yeah. when I did my military entrance exams and things like that, they put us through kind of, um, what would you call it these days? Sort of pat- pattern recognition, kind of mathematics and stuff, and because I, I would have gone in as an officer and I... That under the pressure and that I can step back and I can see it and I can visualize and I say, okay, cool, answer, da, 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 da. as long as I don't yeah. have to explain how I got to the answer. No, that's very relatable, actually. I'm, I'm yeah. quite good at doing the thing, but then if someone asked me, how did you do the thing? I'd say, I don't know. I just know. That, if that sounds strangely enough to most people, but I think I, I think you get where I'm coming from here because no, 100%. it's all I used to here, get told I was it? a cheater all the time in mathematics class. <laughs> I was really okay. good at maths and that as a kid. And things I was and the opposite I, end though. I wasn't very good at maths. I was very good at creative writing. So I, I giggled when you I said like I could writing. answer something with two thousand words, just not fifty yeah. words. I'm not very I'm not very concise, and I think that's why I was very good at creative writing because I could waffle. Well, wait till I send you an email after this as a follow-up. <laughs> but yeah, you, you, but you see what I mean, though. I'm, right, I, I think we're very much similar in that sense. I, I, I'm, I'm very bad at being direct and straight to the point. I'm very good at giving you a roundabout answer of things, which sometimes people see that as me being dishonest or not knowing what I'm talking about. Exactly. I'm just I'm just not very good at being direct. And just, I'll touch on it again later, but yeah. that's what sets me apart and when it comes to talking to ADHDs and their business ideas. We oh, have that understanding... Hit. Okay. Whereas if they go to a traditional business planner or business coach or something and that, they give them that look. And we all know the look. <laughs> when you start talking about bananas and spaceships because it's connected to 
your idea mm -hmm. or you have to go wide to tell them how you got to the business idea but it's, it's got me in a lot of trouble in the past, I have to say, just to yeah. point this out. So like I've been in positions with some, you know, quite high level responsibility where I've been sort of head of manager of marketing in positions before. And I would present them a marketing strategy, let's say, for an example. And I can give you all the good ideas. I'm an, ide I'm an ideas person. Yeah. But when you ask me to explain why this idea would work, I would draw blanks. I know in my head why it would work. But when you're trying to almost pitch something to a CEO or anyone that's high up like that, and when you're giving that kind of roundabout answer, as we tend to do in ADHD is, it almost sounds, again, sounds like you don't know what you're talking about, you're inexperienced. And then what happened then was I was getting a lot of pushback from these higher ups and that affected my self-confidence and then oh, imposter syndrome sets in. Yeah, 100%. And I eventually found my way of working around that. Okay. Because I always believed if you're the ideas person, you've got to be the doer and you've got to be the, the, the end function. You've got to make sure from point A to point Z that is done. And well, a lot of people just around, tend to be point B, don't they? Well, yeah. Well, this is the thing. One of my friends when they, uh, at work and that. So what I did is um, I started creating little trusted groups of people that I could go to and things. And I, for example, I battle with the simpler, simpler kind of problems, right? Because it's too simple. So the solution, it can't be that. It's too easy, right? <laughs> and then you overthink it and you like go for two days, whereas it would have taken me five minutes. Whereas if it's a complex situation, oh, I can smash it, right? Okay. Because that's just, it's just. Do you find that you struggle with the basics, but you're very oh, good at the complex? 100%. It's like washing dishes. <laughs> I can wash the plates, the pans and all that, but don't give me the cutlery. Oh my gosh. Thank you, by the way, <laughs> for anyone listening right now, it's not just me. I hate it. And another thing too, so I can, so if I put some clothes in the wash and hang them out, I can hang out the trousers and the t-shirts, but I can't hang out the underwear and the socks. 100%. Oh my it's God. Not efficient. I'm gonna show it's my, not I'm, efficient. So bro. me and my girlfriend clash about this all the time. Like Ben, why don't you hang out the socks again? And I say, I don't know, but I just can't do it. Do you know what I do as well? I start hanging the t-shirts and the shirts on hangers on the line. So right. it's just straight into the cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And you know what? This is why I like having these conversations, right? I said this to, I think, every guest so far, because then I start to realize these things about myself too. Like, oh my God, this is an ADHD thing. It's not just a crazy me thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, as you were saying. <laughs> so yeah, so trusted circles, right? And what that afforded me was a safe space where I could talk to someone that understood me so I started, I've, I've always been a signposter. I, I, I am ADHD, right? Um, I do things a little bit differently, um, but I welcome you to come and talk to me about it. I welcome you to come and challenge me or ask me about it. If you see me do something quirky or weird or something as such, come and have a chat with me. Nine out of 10 people won't. I was about to ask that. Do you actually get many people that ask you? Nine out of 10 people won't. But that 10th person that does becomes a member of my trusted circle. Okay, that's interesting. Because then I know that they're not going to, give me special treatment and things because I don't want special treatment. I'm one of those that doesn't want special treatment in a sense and that. But I want to be able to go somewhere where one, I'm going to get challenged, but also there's going to be an understanding or someone's going to take the opportunity like, okay, cool. Okay, maybe. Yeah. Okay, let's start working But it puts together. the wind in yourselves, doesn't it? When someone takes the time to understand oh, you, it, it sets you up for success, doesn't it? I think. Yes. And then, so one of my things is like uh, soundboarding, for example. So, Hey, Bob, 
do you mind just going into like a meeting room with me? I've got this thing in my head and I, I just need to get it out. I don't actually need you to do anything. I just need you to be in a room with me. So I think some people call that body doubling as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just kind of throwing that out and getting the problem out of your head and in front of you and then being able to play with it and put it back again the way that you need it and things like that. Um, and then also just kind of having that person like challenge a conversation and things and with you or an idea and things. And then one of them turned around and said, Nate, why do you have to do the idea, the action and the completion? Right, because like, usually one I'm, person does each. Yeah, I'm like, because isn't that the way it is? Because it's not fair to put that responsibility on someone else in it. He's like, no, Nate, it's okay to be the idea person and it's okay to be the doer and it's okay to be the guy who brings it across the finish line. Okay. You don't have to be all three of them. I know you can do it, but so that pressure shouldn't be on you to do clearly, it. Clearly, you thrive at being the guy that manages everything end-to-end, -end, but do you sometimes find that you can stress yourself out on that as well? I'm the guy who thrives on being able to see all the information. I like to be up top. Yeah. That sounds dodgy. No, but like, <laughs> you want, like a 360 view of everything. You don't want to... Yeah, yeah. Not, not, not in control of everything and not in control of everybody, but I like to have the information at hand to be able to see. So this is where some of my consulting is coming to play in that. So one of my best friends is the head business consultant for Oracle. I don't know if you've heard of Oracle. And Java? Like yeah. Yeah. Bigger. Yeah. Bigger, and yeah. That, so they do all the SaaS systems and around the world and things like that, right? Okay. So he calls me in, for example, on, on a topic and things that I have no idea, right? I don't know what the topic is. I don't know anything about it, but I can sit back and I can listen. And then in my head and that, I start to map. Okay. And I start to map it up. And then I work it backwards and I can see the risk and I can see the pitfalls and I can see the potentials. And then I relay it back. And he's like, cool, great. Okay, cheers. Right? I don't know how I do it. I can't explain to you how I do it, really. And I can't explain to you where that comes from. But that's one of my, for lack of better words and for a controversial one in the ADHD sphere, that's one of my superpowers. <laughs> no, and I think you're entitled to call it that too, because I think we all have, I mean, I don't like to refer to ADHD as weaknesses, but we all have things in ADHD oh, that course. we probably struggle with. This is why I think alluding to what you said earlier about it potentially being a spectrum disorder, I think yeah. everyone presents differently and has 100%. difficulty in other aspects of ADHD. Then, So for you, again, for me, it sounds like you're very good at managing large scale projects end to end. You have a good view of those things. I personally, I'm quite the same as you in that way. I, I've always been quite good at, I guess, project management. So knowing what I need to do to get a thing done, but not necessarily being able to verbalize why it needs to be done in the first place. Yeah. And this is why it's, it's sometimes it's like landed me in difficult situations because I know, the, again, I'm, we are the ideas person, but sometimes in order to be the ideas person, you need to be able to correctly pitch why it's a good idea. And I was never quite good at that stage. I'm still working yeah. on that now. I think we're always working on that. Well, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's not a destination, though, is it? I think it's something you continually build upon, but I think I also for me... I think it's personal to us, isn't it? When you have an idea... I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, and I, to me, and this was the hardest thing explaining to people in corporate, right? Because I always felt like there was this idea, there was this feeling or this kind of space that I never got where, oh, if someone shares an idea with you, it's just an idea. I have this thing that anything I see in my head, I feel. Right. And this is me and things that are right. Maybe oversharing and that you can tell me to keep quiet. No, you're not oversharing at all, actually. And I'm interested but, um, to hear more about that. So 
I don't know which side it falls on, and I'm, I've, I've not, I'm kind of exploring at the moment with a specialist and things, I shall say. Okay. But um, if I have a dream and it's a really negative dream, and 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 you know someone's hurt or something as such, and I, I feel that as if it was the realest thing. If I'm walking around and I'm, I'm thinking about things and I feel it, so it's personal to me. An idea, a concept and things like that, it's part of me. And because of the journey I've had with my head and I've vilified my ADHD for the longest time of my life, I really did. Did you consciously vilify ADHD or oh, was it more vilifying your behavior? Like, did you know it was ADHD at the time when you were vilifying what it? What I thought was my ADHD. Okay, so you had, but you had some idea that it could be ADHD, right? This is what I'm asking. Um, <coughs> I always knew I was ADD and then ADHD. Okay, so you were very self-aware of that. Yeah, then. Okay. no, 100% on that. Um, the combined ADHD thing, I learned later on and things like that. Um, it's always, a, I don't know, labels are always changing. I have a bit of a love-hate No, thing about but the reason labels. why I ask you this question is because I spent a long time vilifying my behavior, but I didn't know it was ADHD. Fair enough on that. I understand that now. Um but yeah, so I, I spent a lot of my life, a lot of my time hiding from ideas, hiding from my head, putting myself in positions where I didn't have to rely on an academic approach or a kind of, you know, that kind of technical approach. And, you know, I just relied on kind of muscle memory in kitchens and, and what I kind of knew. But obviously at the time I was still using my head, but I just didn't realize I was, that was actually me using my ADHD to get through life and things like that. And that was something I had to learn later on. And and I did, um, not easily. And, and I'm still learning. How do you day. think you learned that by being aware of the behavior or just through trial and error? To be really honest, um, right before I wanted to start the mission of driving change, I guinea pig going to an ADHD coach. Okay. I went to a company called Genius Within. Yeah. They're very publicly known and things like that. Um, I don't think there'll be an issue me mentioning it. Um, I sat and I looked at their list of specialists and people and I chose who I wanted. And then I got told I can't go to that person. They're going to sign me somebody else. And I was like, and then I really felt like a disconnect because that's what I felt safe with. That's what I wanted to speak to. The list of things was what kind of connected with me. Yeah. So I was approaching this from a executive functioning, coaching, you know, corporate space. How's it going to improve me at work type of thing and that, right? Yeah. And I ended up getting the most hippie person I'd ever met in my <laughs> life. And I was like, what am I doing here? So and, why? So just to go back yeah. on that for a moment. So clearly <coughs> you, you're disengaging from that. So any particular reason other than the fact that this is a free spirited kind of guy? Um, uh, lady. <laughs> lady, lady, sorry. Um, because the first couple of things she said to me was, we need to find you your own tool set. We need to find you your own da da da. And to me, a tool set's a hammer and a chisel and a da da da. I can hold it. It's tangible. It's something real, right? I'm very strange in that I'm very creative, but I'm very literal at the same time and things. And no, that. but I think this goes back to what we were saying earlier. It sounds like, again, you're very hands on, practical exactly. type of guy, but you're not theoretical. Again, I think this is delving into here's the theory and then suddenly going, boop. Yeah, I was kind of worried it was going to come out. We're going to bring you into your chakras and your third eye. And, oh, right. Okay. And you know what I mean? And I was like, I was like, I, I don't know if this is my safe Not space. your vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was so wrong, you know, um, because one of the things after she spoke to me for my first session and things that 
she kept harping on about this thing and it started to annoy me was we need to change your narrative and i'm like because i'm a very i was a very evidence-based person so i am x because y happened i am I, I, I function like this because of what happened to me before, right? I, mm -hmm. I have this experience because this is what I experienced. Um, I do this this way because this is the way it's been proven to do it. And she's like, that's fine. But just because it was true then doesn't mean it's true today. Right, okay. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> And I'm not going to lie to you. I started getting into like a really negative space at work at the same time. Okay. And, and I was really kind of losing myself and things and that. Um, some medical things were going on as well, you know. Um, they always do. And things, uh, mental health was dropping at the same time. Yeah. And one night I just kind of turned around and I said to myself, why is it true today if it was true then? Okay. So looking inwards. Yeah. You know, yeah, growth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and one of the things came up was, why is my head the villain that it was back when I was younger? What is true about when I was young that is still true today? What is it about my ADHD that is still the villain? And then I started looking at my ADHD, and I started watching YouTube. And yeah. There's a famous YouTuber lady that does these things with these very cute little whatevers and things about ADHD and that. And then I started looking into forums and I read people's stories over and over again. And I came to the realization I'm not on an island by myself. Was it like reading an autobiography when you read those stories? Elements of, because yeah. I think that's the truest thing about us. And I, I, and I think that's one of the big debates in the ADHD sphere at the moment is just because I'm ADHD doesn't mean I'm the same as you ADHD. No, or, again, it's, it's but different. But we share person similarities person. to our journeys, to our pathings, et cetera, et cetera, and things. And I that. feel like you could have really benefited from speaking to Greg, funnily enough, because he mentions this thing about living by other people's metrics. I'm, I'm not oh, sure yeah. if you remember this bit that he mentions, yeah. but he says like, we, we look back and vilify our behaviors and ourselves. But then we kind of look at that and go, well, by whose standards? Because, exactly. we're, I mean, were we actually hurting anyone? No, we were just inconveniencing them. We were frustrating them. And then they're, they're, they're making us feel vilified for that behavior. But really, when you boil it down, you know, we're vilifying ourselves because of societal opinions and, and sort of pressures. Exactly. Not us. Otherwise, no. we wouldn't be thinking that way in the first place, right? And yet we're the one that changed industries and we're the one that bring out the big ideas and things that you don't hear why you don't hear the world would be know. a very boring place without adhd as oh, i think wouldn't it? Right? i think everyone the, i think this kind of taps into this whole idea of conformity doesn't it and why that different is good and we need a melting part of different people and different thinkers and different bananas and spaceships bananas <laughs> spaceships exactly but um yeah so Whilst I thought this woman's completely bonkers originally, which sounds really controversial considering I'm the one going to her for help around my head. <laughs> um, this, this, just the sentence stuck with me above all else. Change your narrative or, or look at changing the narrative or you can change your narrative. And I'm not going to say it's the big answer for everybody and I'm not going to say it's the, the magic cure or anything. And that. Change the narrative it, in what sense, sorry? Your personal narrative. 
So what? You know, so how how you view yourself? Is that what is that what you? I think to? that's a big one. Yes, but for me, it was around my ADHD first and foremost, and things that I'm not going to go into emptying my no, closet no. just yet. It's okay. <laughs> um, but around my ADHD and that, because I started to look back and I started to look at you know my careers and and my different kind of adventures I'd been on, you know, my chefing career took me through. Botswana, Zambia, Lesotho, Namibia, Angola to the tops of Zimbabwe. I got to see the craziest things out in the wild that, you know, I could write a book about if I wanted to, if I had the patience to. <laughs> um, I got to cook for famous and then uber famous. I got to kind of see a lot of everything and experience and things. And then I went from that. I rocked it in retail, although I hated retail, but I was able to adapt and get into retail and move up faster than anybody. And then that took me into learning about green technologies and helping IKEA launch their solar panel initiative around the whole UK and things and that. And then from that into a corporate industry and things that where neurodiversity wasn't embraced. But by the time I left, I had a whole what's the word roadmap in place for them and things and that they've got working groups around neurodiversity they've got challenge groups for the board they've got reverse mentoring for neds and ceos and that to learn about it and things and that and it's still going even though i'm not there now this is starting to make sense while you are where you are now mm. okay it wasn't easy and it never it, is it wasn't it wasn't a, it wasn't a i think the i think the thing the most purest thing I felt in my life so far from a career perspective or from a personal perspective, even was finding the fire. Now that's a soundbite I'm going to use in the intro, just so you know, you know yeah. was, was finding <laughs> that passion was, was finding out that my idea wasn't a crazy idea. It was, it wasn't something I, I mean, I didn't trust myself with it for, for a while because I was scared. What happens if I lose interest the weekend? What happens if I lose interest two weeks in? Because we all know the shuttle when you lose an interest, right? It's okay. you, you can't You can't bring it back and things and that, right? That's mm -hmm. something I've always experienced with mine, hobbies or things like that. Once that dopamine kind of stops, what do I do? Oh, shit. I've now challenged the corporation into driving change around neurodiversity. What happens if I stop halfway through a meeting with the CEO or something? Mm. I'm going to look like a fool, right? Yeah. <laughs> but worse than that, what happens about the person that I'm trying to drive this change for? Because it's not me. I'm driving the change for the person that comes after me. And that was my way around it. I couldn't do that mission focused on myself. I drove that mission with my story, but focused on the next person and for the other person. Wow. Okay. So you've, uh, you've effectively verbalized why I do what I do here. Because when I started this, this was meant to be a very self-indulgent me, me, me. Let's talk about my life and ADHD. And I think the way you've kind of set the tone here is perfect, right? So it's about you and your personal experiences, but it's about paying it forward for the next guy. And I think, otherwise, I don't yeah. think we'd, I don't think we'd, we'd get up for ourselves, to be honest. No. I, I don't think, I don't think, I think we're the best people at being in people's lives to help them change, to help them be the best them. Da 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 da. Just don't look at me <laughs> and my well-being practices. No, my, sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know but what I mean? Do you feel and, like it's like a little bit? I mean, for me, it was like I, I felt in my soul that I'd suffered quite a lot. And because I'm soft-hearted a little bit, I didn't want other people to suffer in that way. No, 100%. And that's, again, a big part of what I do here. It's that I, if people can avoid going through 
20 years worth of emotional trauma, then yeah. I, I would love for that to happen for them. Which, by the way, I now swear by therapy and I swear by talking things, practices. I, I swear by I therapy really like I swear by going to the gym. It's a muscle that you need to train. It, I think um, emotional intelligence isn't something that's just gifted to us. We have to learn about it and we need to practice it. And that comes because with therapy. I'm, I'm not going to get into like male, female or anything like that, but there's a real thing where Forgive me, I don't know your age and things and that, but I'm I think 28. we understand. 28. 28, yeah. Oh my goodness, you're a spring chicken. Okay, cool. Very much so. <laughs> I'm, like I'm, I'm 39 this year, going on 40 next and things that are right. So, but I think the generation sits the same in a way. We weren't taught to talk. We we weren't taught to kind of express and, and to think in that, you know? I think Especially that's very new, isn't military it? military homes. I mean... Growing up under my father, and you know, men had Superman complexes and things uh, where you know, men never stop. Always yeah, one foot in I front of the other. You never stop. Sure. You never talk. You never think. You don't let the mask down. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I mean, my dad's very supportive, of course, but um, oh yeah, now he's. I mean, now they are for sure. I mean, I think attitudes culturally have changed as well, haven't oh, they? I think we're we're at a point in time where it's not frowned upon to talk about mental health and things like that. You know. I have conversations about mental health with my parents that 10 years ago I wouldn't even thought about having. Yeah. But now absolutely. that dialogue has been opened for everybody where we can kind of feel comfortable to do that, which is great. Um, I think there, yeah. I think there's still an area though where yes, people say it's safe to talk. Safer. I wouldn't say it's But they're not ready perfect. for opening the floodgates or opening the gates and the amount of talking and things. And I don't think on both sides of the table and that, I don't think a lot of people are ready to be able to talk and things. So once those floodgates open and then on the other side and that people don't understand the weight that could be coming their way and things and that, and that destroys a lot of things. And because of that, unfortunately people kind of bottle it all up again and go forward. So right, whereas okay. I think we have moved on a lot and there are safer spaces to talk and that I think it has to be kind of really contracted with someone and things and that like, Hey, listen, let's have a safe space for five minutes. Let's kind of talk about it and things. Let's go and things and that. And then we kind of reflect for a little bit, or I need a bit of space after that. And I just to kind of, you know, mm. process that because I think a lot of relationships kind of get broken up when those kind of things get opened up. Too they can, they yeah. can. I think um, for lack of a better way of putting it, it's like a bit of a tightrope balance really. 100%. I definitely, like I say, so I have this open dialogue with my family, with my parents yeah. surrounding not just ADHD, but mental health. But it was very difficult in the beginning to start approaching that because obviously to them, this has all come out of the blue because I've spent the last, I don't know, again, 15, 20 years not talking about it as much. I mean, I had meltdowns yeah. and they were aware of that, yeah. but they weren't aware of the extent of my mental health and where it came from. And it's only really been recently since my diagnosis where I felt more comfortable to challenge it and to talk about it more. And they don't always, and don't get me wrong, it's not like a fairy tale perfect scenario. Oh, no. They don't always understand it, but they're willing to listen to it more and they're willing to acknowledge it. I can remember the first time I approached as an adult and things that uh, I trying to talk about my ADHD with my parents and my mother being bipolar and things that, you know, I really thought there'd be an understanding, whereas my parents thought that I was accusing them. Okay. And and they kind of took it that way and it caused the silence for quite some time. And yeah. things like that. Um, whereas I was just trying to share that I was 
trying to unpack it, trying to learn about it, trying to be a better human being myself and things and that. And if they had an understanding of it and things, and because they'd been open-minded enough and that to take me to get a diagnosis and that, but unfortunately it didn't go down so well. Now, later on, many moons down the line and think, or many moons onwards and things like that, um, we have the odd conversation around mental health and, and stuff and like that. My father at 62 got diagnosed with dyslexia. Okay. You know, so, you know, the fact he went into a therapist's room and things that he got diagnosed, what? I was really why would proud you think of him. He, why do you think he went down that route at such an older age? Was that inspired by you, maybe? Is that what you're saying? I'll never say that, no. But you would never say I, that, but I, I would say that, you know, through his own kind of wanting to learn about himself finally, you know, and give and forgiving himself. Would he have done it twenty uh, years ago though? Oh no, hundred percent not. Okay. No, no, no. My dad's a lion. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, but, I, but okay, so I'm not gonna speak for you, but I can I can sort of see the growth there, if that makes sense. Yeah. No. But uh, just to kind of touch on quick because I know it's your evening and I don't want to steal all your no, time. No, no, don't so worry. That, um how i came about to kind of do these things i was never going to be a business coach that that wasn't my goal yet and things like that um what i was coming in um i was still working in corporate i was down for mental health for a little while and things like that i kind of experienced my first positive burnout because of positivity i'd never experienced a positive drop before in my life <laughs> i can't say uh, i have no um it sneaks up on you really you know and i'll keep that in mind it, it hits you really hard um i managed to drive i'm not really good at like upping myself and that but i'm gonna try it just for a bit because it was big um i managed to drive a lot of change and and create a lot of safe space for people to be able to start discussing neurodiversity um forums we put in place we started challenging um training materials like L&D, um, actual uh, policies and things and that, and then focusing on recruitment, non-traditional kind of recruitment practices and that to bring more neurodiverse people in and give them a safe space to be able to be seen and heard within a recruitment practice that isn't fit for neurodiverse people and things and that. Um, I started to challenge actual people policies and that, so we ended up reviewing and amending, I think it was 57 different people, HR policies and things that to make them more acceptable more accessible and things and that um and also teaching people that just because there's a policy in place policy isn't law one size doesn't fit all policy is there to give you an idea of a best practice and so if you're speaking to bob but then you expect it to fit jane whether it be neurodiverse or menopause or race or sex or anything in that that should just be a guidance okay unfortunately and a lot of hr departments and that focus on policy as if it's a law that is the way it is. We got no space for movement. We, we ended up getting to change that. And that was one of the best feelings. It was boring as hell. <laughs> it's sure. not my cup of tea, but hopefully it means when someone finds himself in a disciplinary or something and because they do something differently or because of their timelines or something, they saw something in a different way and it was stuck in that, but they couldn't verbalize or something as such and that, that someone then is gonna say, hey, did we do everything we could do to help you be the best that you could be? Did we put you in a place of strength or did we put you in a place of weakness? Yeah. And those were the changes that we got to bring in <clears throat> within corporate. Um, I did it in a little bit of a non-traditional sense. I knew what my strengths were. I knew what my weaknesses were. 
So I made my kind of second in command and you're a non uh, and you're a typical person. That would make sense though, right? For what you're doing. But that's how I see how society should be. Balance strengths and weaknesses out in that with teamwork and things in a right play to each yeah, other's strengths. Okay. It was the most weirdest response to why would you bring a neurotypical into this to help you drive change for neurodiversity? I'm like, why wouldn't you? Different perspectives. Not just that, but I know he's going to challenge me. I know he's going to ask me why. And that's all that we want in this. No, but you need, so, you need someone to keep you accountable. Oh, 100%. You don't want it to be an echo chamber, right? Especially if I know, right, I can go a thousand steps down the journey, right? And and I can see you far and wide and stuff in it. Yeah. But sometimes I need something to put a tether to so I can come back. And I can do the small stuff that needs to be done and things like that. So if I have someone that's strong within the granular level or something as such, and that, that I can bounce off of, and I, I can do what I do well, and they can do what they do well, and together we can drive change. Hundred percent. It was the they took it as if it was the weirdest concept ever conceived. Who's sorry? Who's they? The corporation and things. Okay. Like. But then they started to see how it functioned, and we grew the fastest. How long was that process? So all in, so going from point A being at the very beginning and point B being at a point where they're now sort of fostering neurodiversity and, and using now, it do more. Do you want the ADHD answer or do you want me to like play it down a little bit? Whichever, <laughs> whichever answer you're comfortable giving, this is your space. The hardest part was getting people to listen first. Okay. And I'm not going to lie. I might not be the most subtlest person. I don't know if you can hear. I'm quite loud. No, no, no. An accent all. as well and things that I, I am a disruptor. And so I took a sledgehammer to the narrative. Okay. So and I drove hard and fast and things like because everyone was like, take your time. So buy in was the hard part in the beginning. Then. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So still, I started showing them. So one of the ways I showed them was I was working on a team where there was another ADHD on the team with me. Um, and they had me doing spreadsheet data analysis, which is not my thing. Don't put a spreadsheet in front of me. Man. Don't <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I hate spreadsheets. Right? Yeah. But he loves spreadsheets. And what he was doing was really complex and detective work and deep. And I, and I said, but I love that. Okay. So we swapped workloads. And we had a 60% like increase in productivity and things within two days. And we, we yeah, we left everyone kind of in the smoke. And how are you tracking that. that data? So how have you got that, that statistic there? How, how did you track that data? So we were a team of like 20 or so and things and that. We each had reports and stuff we had to do and deliver by a certain time scale, time point and that. We ended up doing like two or three work weeks worth of work and then when anyone, everyone else had done like one week's work. Okay, right, okay. So and then we just analyzed from so. that kind of standpoint and things and that. And then we took it to the that line manager put people and things in and she's like, keep doing what you're doing. Okay, so it sounds like you needed that use case first. Yeah, you know, um, so from that then came kind of challenging people and that on why do we do it this way? And I hate the answer that comes back because it's the way we've always done it. Um, that doesn't work. Otherwise, we'd still be in caves at the moment trying to make <laughs> fire from rocks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, especially when looking at tech. Um, you know, tech and food are two realms where things move really fast, right? And they have to move fast and to kind of keep up with the competition and things. And yet you will find it more so than ever. It's the way we've always done it. This is the as is process, blah, 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 blah. Especially in the financial industry, I find people are very risk adverse when it comes to changing process and things like that. I think, yeah, most companies would be like that. And I'm, 
that's kind of the way it's been since the dawn of whereas time. whereas adhd is neurodiverse people know we really really love process initiatives and driving change and things like that and i think that's where a lot of people kind of get squashed down because you bring ideas you bring ideas and if you're not heard if you're not kind of given a bit of space to try and things like that eventually you're just going to stop you could argue that's a contradiction though because i think Why? because I think because we as AHD, I think we we can sometimes do with routine and it helps oh, us. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But then at the same time, you're right. I think we love to drive change and we love to kind of take something that's been done the same way a million times and challenge that and go, well, how can we make it better? How can we improve that? I think it's the mundanity and the complacency that drives us to change it. Well, yeah, I think that explains why we can't keep hobbies down for one week at a time. <laughs> we, can so, never, we can never be complacent, can we? So let me blow your mind a little bit here, Nat. Sure. So I know I need structure, but I hate structure and my head finds loopholes. And once it finds the loophole, that structure will never be good enough again. So what okay. do we do? So I need a flexible structure that's able to be broken, but rebuilt at the same time and that, but still flexible enough to entice me and excite me and that to be able to do what I want to do. How do you do it? Good question. How do you do it? So my way is tethering tethering what does that mean so i struggle without a best practice okay. so let's take it to the hospitality industry or kitchens right so i walk into a kitchen you've been cooking mama's pasta for the same way for the last 20 years and things like that it's good it's great no one's going to complain and things like that when you walk in you don't want to alienate the chef you don't want to alienate the cooks and things like that right so you do it the as this way the best practice way okay so you put your tether to the best practice and you learn the best practice. Okay, cool. I've got the best practice down now. Okay, but now what happens if I sprinkle just a little bit of cinnamon or I sprinkle just a little bit of extra uh, Okay. But what I do is I incorporate the person into it. Cool, okay. so this is your best practice and things. But have you ever considered? What about? What do you think? And why do you do it that way? Is that so that the person or the, the company so doesn't, the yeah, so they don't feel like you're just personally attacking their process? It, yeah, because I feel a lot of people come in and they're like, as soon as they hit the ground running, they're like, right, we're changing everything. Yeah, I guess the other people can get a bit defensive, can't they, and think, oh, what, well, what, 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 not everyone learns as fast as everybody else. Whereas if you take a really methodical kind of approach and you get to know your people and you have the conversations, the right conversations, you find out their strengths, you know where to put them. That you sounds know, like a really important up. step, actually. Um, is this something that's not common amongst business coaches oh. then? No? I don't think it's common in most workplaces, to be honest with you. Okay. So anyway, um, yeah, real quick, like uh, left corporate and things under a bit of a veil. Um, uh, sort of that situation are really good. Um, I got introduced to a company that is focusing on this realm of things as well um you know kind of you know neurodiverse for neurodiverse um learned very quickly unfortunately some of their practices weren't in the best interest of those neurodiverse people okay things. yeah i uh, started doing a bit more research and things and, and started finding that there's around every corner there's about 20 of these adhd coaching and you know whatever business coaching and da 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 da, da. and it's like oh where do people really go? But whilst I was with this company, they're like, oh, we have a real interest in people wanting to talk to people in corp from corporate kind of spaces um, who might be able to help with business planning and stuff because I was coming in to help do uh, corporate training. And, okay. and kind of what I've done in corporate and, that, and disrupting kind of, you know, that space and stuff. And that. 
um, as well as helping optimize the business side of uh, this entity. Um, and I was like, I know how to do it. And then the imposter syndrome kicked in and I was like, oh, but who's going to want, you know, advice from me and stuff. And, you know, who's going to want a thing. And I, I, one of my good friends had a chat with me and he's like, yeah, but Nate, if they're not talking to you, who are they talking to? Someone, right? You, you know, because look, I'm always going to be hundred percent honest with you. You know, um, I don't want people to waste their time and things and that, you know, I'll do it in a proper way and things and that. If your idea is crazy and things and that, let's talk about it. And I always feel that, especially with ADHDs and things and on neurodiverse folks and that, I'm the same. But if you really talk about it, this might have been where we started. But by the time you've had the conversation, you actually find that little nugget of gold or that, you know, that little spark of that person and things like that. And I think the thing that sets me apart, um, it's, it's hard saying that sometimes, isn't it? it makes no, you sound like I, I, can, is. I can understand the difficulty in trying to almost talk I'm yourself to promote here and things uh, this, this wasn't about promoting for me at all and I, my goal is still the same that just maybe just maybe this reaches that one person that just needs to hear something or that they're not alone or that there is a space for them in this world and things and, that, and they go out and do something amazing by themselves and that that's that's been my continual goal no, but i really think the thing world. that sets me apart is bananas and spaceships <laughs> i think the difference is someone can come to me with their idea and I'm not going to give them the look. And the look is that same look when you've tried to explain an idea to a neurotypical, to a business consultant, to someone traditional on that, where why is this person telling me about their life story when I just want to know about their idea? Because they don't get that it took that lead up of their life story to get to that idea and everything to us is connected. At least that's my ADHD. For me, everything is connected. I have this painting in my lounge that a friend did for me of just speckles on thing. And to me, I can see it as a ball with all the connecting lines in between and things and that. And that's the way I visualize the world and how I visualize things. I believe everything is connected in some fashion and it leads to the next thing. And when someone sits down with me, I try to offer them that safe space then where they can talk about bananas and spaceships to tell me about their idea and things, something that is meaningful to them. And they know that I'm going to come back to them and, I, and I'm going to take the time with them. Um, at the moment, I'm not even charging. <laughs> I'm not making no income or anything as such. And I, I'm just trying to help some people at the moment. No, that's, um, that's really admirable that you're doing that. Yeah. Um, the hope and the goal is to do more things like this. Um, one of my little optimizations, and I'm not sure you do it yet and things like that, or if you're exploring it or not. Um, is I'd really love a round table of ADHDs, neurodiverse people and neurotypicals where yeah. we can throw the ball around and on a conversation and things and that we can challenge kind of the, the societal standards and things and that um, yeah. with realness, you know, yeah. and kind of get that message out and things and that. And then I still have a hope to go back into kind of corporate and that and kind of train them or teach them and that a little bit about, you know, what their narrative is around us is not what we are. You know, they, they're missing a real, what's the word? Opportunity, I think is the right word. And that they're missing a real opportunity with the non-traditional strengths, the non-traditional knowledge. Um, I think we put too much weight into paper still and qualifications and, and stuff like that. Whereas there's people that just have natural abilities and natural strengths and that they might not even know about it because one, they don't know they are 
one, they might not have had a diagnosis, or maybe they have, and they just feel that they're not being heard in the company enough. That's interesting. I have been that's toying with spiel. that idea. <laughs> no, 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 that's a very good spill. And I was toying this with this idea recently about getting a number of people like yourself, actually, uh, for effectively one big podcast episode where we would have this kind of round table discussion. I don't think it would have in- included neurotypicals, but I- I've been, again, whether it be like a webinar or again, like a traditional podcast format. Um, we can discuss this another time, of course, but it'd be well, uh, I'm interesting you to... to hit me up if you want to do some brainstorming. On I it. would love to. I would love yeah. to. And again, I mean, when I, I'm not sure if I'm repeating myself. I'm really sorry, but yeah. I remember when I first started this, I, I my kind of intent was to business coach as well. But if I'm being honest with you, I kind of got sick of the whole B two B life, really, because again, yeah. I, my background's in marketing, and it's always been B two B, sell, 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 promote, 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 and I kind of fell out of love with it a little bit. So originally my website my kind of platform is going to be written content so because i'm a marketer blog post seo the shit out of it that kind of stuff and then i fell into this podcast thing in the video format and i just fell in love with that and realized that i don't need or have the want to do this so like it's great for you guys you know if you have a love and passion for that that's great um but for me passion for the people the, yeah, you I know, think the, yeah, that, that's, that's at the crux wrong. of it, isn't it? The, the people yeah, themselves. The, the kind of grind of the, the, the business consultant person and that, it's not my passion. The passion is literally sitting there talking to the person and, and helping them kind of define their idea or find their idea or listen to their idea and things. Like then I have to do the normal kind of nitty gritty, kind of go away, build a business plan or something as such and things and that, or tell them I don't think it's viable or look into kind of viability options or you know, and I'm not going to lie, I utilize tech to do that. Um, work work smarter, not harder. Um, it's one of my core kind of things is I'd love to find a place where tech kind of um, complements our abilities and things and then adds value to our abilities and that to drive better whatever. At what, at what level is this then? So, for instance, I use, this is quite a high-level basic example, but for me, I struggle with attention to detail when it comes to written work. So I use things like Grammarly and spell checkers. Oh, yeah. Is it stuff, are you referring to things like that? Stuff or like it... that, AI, you name it and things and that, you know, um, I, I kind of tinker with a lot of things. I have a lot of friends in tech as well and things are kind of high up in the tech world, looking at machine learning, AI learning and stuff like that. Um, and I think there's a real space in that, especially with the way that we work usually, you know, I, I'm just talking on some of the similarities. I'm not talking on everybody's abilities and things like that, because I know there's a lot of us that still prefer pen and paper or pencil and paper. I love a good pencil and a good piece of paper. <laughs> um, but then I also love a re- good remarkable as well. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's that efficiency of being able to get things across quickly and, and in, in the best way. Um, but I think there is a real space from an accessibility standpoint that there is tech out there that could be of use to people and things that is still not under reasonable adjustments within corporations or businesses or whatever and things, or even access to work, uh, government funding, um, you name yeah. it and things and that, that people could be utilizing and, and put them in a better space and things and that. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I, I, I struggle with the social media thing. It's not something I was born with. It's not something I was thinking. I don't have a face for it, I don't think. <laughs> um, don't be ridiculous. But Pencil I try. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I try because my goal isn't about me. I'm not trying to be famous. I'm not trying to be an influencer. I'm not trying to be anything. I'm hoping that my message reaches that one person 
and and it changes their narrative for them or helps them be who they want to be but they've been masking so long which is a whole nother topic we could talk about masking no um and keep that in mind actually because i think uh, you and i are going to pick each other's brains on lots of different things in the future oh, yeah. but I, I really admire that sort of because you know you're clearly one of the good guys you've got your heart in the right place oh. because uh, but again i think this is why we exist to do what we do in the first place it's why i did my podcast this is why you help people at a business level again it's, it's i think as you appropriately described it it's for the people themselves not how i don't know how i put this really it's not for the business at large it's for the individual isn't it really no, no i agree with you and um, yeah i'd like to look the disruptor in me i, I want to go and grab the world and shake it you know I'd, I'd love to be able to tackle something on that front and there's some conversations i'm having with some places where maybe i might just get that opportunity to go and shake the world and, and maybe have that kind of you know because like i said that big picture kind of thing it excites me to the extent of how many people we might be able to help. Yeah, that makes you know? complete sense. And the world is changing and there is better kind of tools for kids now and, and stuff, you know, in schooling and stuff and that. But I think there's a couple of generations that are still lost with the adults and things and that, that you know, we don't have access to, to real talking therapies and that for free and stuff and things and that, you know. Nobody, I mean, you go to any kind of GP at the moment, you ask them about ADHD, they ask you to tell them about it, which would be mm. a positive if they were willing to let you. But the fact that it's not something we grow out of, it's not something that goes away when we're 18. It's not a behavioral thing and that it's something that is part of us. And, that, and if medical doctors don't even kind of know about it, what kind of safe space do we have to go and ask questions or right. you know yeah i don't think so, it's necessarily about lack of knowing particularly with medical professionals yeah, I, I think it's uh more about nice. no 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 <laughs> I, I completely appreciate what you mean i think but i, I think again I, to be clear on this as well i think because of the volume and the amount and i think the, the public stigma surrounding adhd obviously you alluded to the panorama story earlier on obviously i've, I've discussed this loads now at this point yeah that's a big part of that too what I'm interested to see in the future in your world is to kind of see these changes that you're trying to make be put more into the space of um, what's the word I'm looking for uh, accommodation. So, you know, legally speaking, obviously, because we're a protected disability, there are accommodations that workplace by law should provide to us. Now, what we're talking about is under the Disability Equality Act of 2020. That's the one. So there's that, right? But I do find sometimes that's quite basic level stuff. And I feel like that's just, that's just kind of there. So at minimum, they're doing that. But that again, that is minimum, right? We should be looking to expand that and grow that, shouldn't we? I think, unfortunately, and, and this is going to be controversial, and I apologize if it offends anyone. But the fact that neurodiversity still gets placed under mental health and is not its own entity yet in a lot of ways is a shame. No, I, I would agree with you. I don't think that's controversial at all, actually. I think um, it, cause it's, it's, it's... Be surprised how much blowback I get on that one. I mean, there is there is crossover mental health, because I think a, a lot of people... Crossover, yes, and symptoms. I, I think the payoff for being able to function at the level we can function at when we do is our mental health but and things. Like that. Obviously, in the sense that, that obviously it's both neurological. Oh, yeah. Obviously. But I think ADHD is more about again looking at the negative here but how it affects your life day to day obviously depression can can affect your life day to day but there's things that you can work on to 
almost because almost get out the other side because one would argue that you you can be diagnosed as depressed and then years down the line with enough help and medication you can get on the other side of it and not be depressed anymore or in in the physical sense not in a diagnostic sense whereas in the controversial part of that unfortunately is how many people have been misdiagnosed as depressed whereas they've got adhd a lot of people my um my second guest uh labyrinth mine she mentions how she kind of went through the mental health system for years and i think eventually she got diagnosed as munchausen syndrome oh wow before she ever reached adhd diagnosis yeah, so, my personal journey with that yeah. was uh, stop taking Ritalin and things and that. And then at 13, they told me, no, I must have just rather been a depressed kid. So they threw me on Prozac from 13. But she just got accused <laughs> of making it up, though, like, yeah, it, almost crazy. like neurotic and like, yeah. uh, what's the other one? Oh, hypochondriac or something yeah. like that, you know, like she got accused of all sorts. Well, I mean, know, the whole topic of kind of female diagnosis from child up and things and that is crazy and things. And, you know, if you look mm. at stats and all that how they kind of put it down to hormonal changes and everything and that it's ridiculous and things that you know so yeah yeah it is and i think on on that note i'm going to round this up but i've got one of final course. question for you so each and every podcast that i do i always give my guests one final question and it's usually around what advice you would give to someone who's currently seeking diagnosis or is undiagnosed but in your case i think being that this is more business centric i want to give you this question okay if you were to have a new business in front of you today and they were to ask you this one question, Nate, how do I empower people to in my, in my business who are neurodivergent? How do I empower them? What would you tell them? I think if we're looking from a startup and things and that, the way you can empower them is, you know, do your education piece. Look into government funding around access to work and things where your colleagues can come to you and they can get diagnosis through access to work funding and things for private diagnosis. Um, look into medical where diagnosis and things, and it is a possibility in that. I know this is something that some of my friends are working on currently within HR structures where um, as a benefit or as a thing, they can offer funding through the company to be diagnosed and things. Um, and then I think the biggest thing, and I don't know why it's the hardest thing, because to me, it's the most logical and the easiest thing. Have the right conversations at the right time with the right people and things and that, and give them the safe space to be able to come to you and talk to you and, and share with you. And if they do that, put action in place. And action is, let's do this together. Let's work together. Let's see how we can get that done and things and that. Um, on a personal level and things and that, I never tell someone to go down the diagnosis route unless it's not right for them and that, but it does offer you a lot of security, having that kind of thing in place and that under the Disability and Equality Act of 2010, within a working space, within a working environment, I highly recommend it. Um, there's a lot of education that still needs to happen within the business world. Um, so protect yourselves, you know, make sure that you have that in place, make sure that you do your own learning, your own educating and around this and things and that. And then of course, reach out to Ben, reach out to myself, reach out to the people on the community and things and that, have a chat with us and things. I'm sure we're all driving for the same mission, which is creating safe spaces for people to be able to talk, be heard, be seen, and not feel alone. Thank you very much, Nate, for that. And I really appreciate you taking your time out of your evening. I really do. Uh, for everyone listening right now, I will put a link to Nate's TikTok and it, it, it's an email I'll be reaching you out on as well. It's the email I'll be putting out there for people, particularly in business. Thank you so much again, Nate. Really appreciate your time. I really appreciate you too, Ben. Thank you so much. I look forward to catching up again. Thank you.